Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back for our second show of the new year. I feel like everything is crispy and new. We're talking about clamping as a skill. But before we get to that, Tom, what skill class is clamping? Uh, right around a 3.2 exactly. That sounds contradictory, but I'm going to have to go with it. Okay. <clears throat> Precisely. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, all right. Tanda, what, what what did you find on your research for clamping? I found that if I typed in clamps on McMaster Car, I got 12,750 results. Only 12,000? We could just start naming types of clamps and and finish up with that ending the show. Yeah, there are a, a huge variety of clamps. Yeah, I do have one question, Tanda. I just typed it into McMaster Car, and I got 20,753 products. Oh, 20,000. That's what I meant to say. And we've got some discrepancies. Oh, okay. And it's the same. And it's the same. Just fact-checking. Just 20,753. We need fact-checking in this world. We, it's so important, <laughs> especially for that, things uh, such as this. Yeah, yeah. It's a good thing we're recording this. Now I don't know who to rely on. It's 20,753, unless they've added yeah. one. Or 3.2. That's a lot of things that uh, just about anyone could do with a 3.2 skill class, exactly thereabouts. I can't argue that. That is, that is true. So was that, was that it? Was that the, all you got there? Yeah, I did. I I was doing some research on machine clamping, but it's kind of esoteric. I mean, like the little mighty bites and the uh, uh, various types of clamping that you use on the bed of a of a machine tool, and that could be a whole category in and of itself. Aren't mighty bites those little snacks for kids? Well, you could you could crunch on them, but they are hardened, and so. Uh, I mean, you know, you can you can get the uh, ones that you can mail yourself for special shapes, you know, to kind of clamp on round things and stuff. And those, if you were you were young and healthy, you could probably gnaw on one of those and maybe get a little bit of it out. I I think I, I just remembered actually it was Mighty O's that was the that was the thing I was thinking of from oh, Eon Flux. It could be Mighty O's. Yeah, it was it was great. They were like superhero snacks. For kids. Probably easier on your teeth, too, if you really weren't a superhero, but were just a kid who thought you were a superhero. As, as long as you didn't mind eating little O's that had eyes on you that looked at you while you were eating them, it, it was okay. Other than that, it was a little spooky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's better than eating millipedes. On that note, Tom, what did you find in your research on clamping? I want to talk about the future of clamping. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, my favorite clamping, is is like a cam lock, or a magnet, especially if you put them together. I think it's brilliant. Where do you think clamping's going in our in our future? So I know we're supposed to talk about history, but I want to talk about our future. Do you think we're going to be using F style clamps fifty years from now? I think G style will be more appropriate. G G style? No, I think we'll be using gravity clamps. We'll just warp the gravity above whatever we need to have clamped so that it uh, falls together with force. Tanda, that's what the G stands for. The two, the two boards just fall together with force and the glue squeezes out. With gravity. You turn it off whenever I you're like, done. 
That, I that, like it. That's what the G stands for. Oh, right. Yeah. Gravity clamp. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to explain everything. I mean, come I, on. I will. I will say. I think. I think magnets. I think we're still at like the very beginning of magnet technology, even though we've done amazing things with it. I say we like I have anything to do with it, but I think magnets are 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 certainly the future for a lot of things. And the cost of magnets are going to come down over time too. They already have in some ways, even those, um, especially with what Andy Klein's been doing with, uh, remind me of the name of that company, maybe Mag-Log. with those mag switch, mag switch, mag switch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, those things are incredible. They're so powerful and you can basically, that's a cam. As far as I know, that's a cam lock that's engaging and disengaging, just like you would find on a machinist's, um, indicator stand right where you can you flip the switch and the magnet disengages or or re-engages did you see any of my stories with my two big magnets no from when we were doing battle bots oh you no, but you told me about that that was a long time ago right yeah it's been quite some time ago but we got invited okay. to build a battle bot for battle bots and we didn't get through any of the filming we got cut out before you know you would go out and do the filming but one of the people that I was working with, an engineer that used to live here in town and has since moved away, brought over two magnets because we were going to basically lock our battle bot to the floor with these giant neodymium magnets. So that Brilliant. we stayed under the 200 pound weight or whatever it was, we were in the heavyweight class, but we had an effective weight of like 675 pounds. So these flippers and stuff that were popular at the time, you know, we were just, we laughed so hard just imagining them coming up and flipping themselves, trying to flip us over. Um, but these magnets are, are frightening. They are two inch by three inch cylinders, neodymium magnets. And I built these big heavy duty boxes for them because the boxes they were in, they literally got too close to one another and ripped the nails and sides out of the box and slammed together. That's awesome. So your robot destroyed itself. Well, they weren't in the robot yet. You could roll <laughs> these across the floor and see them slow down where there was rebar down in the concrete. Oh, that is awesome. I mean, they're the sort of magnets that you just look at them and think about like the possibility of getting your fingers caught between them and it just makes you cringe it would just obliterate your fingers they're they're scary oh yeah you have no more fingers yeah they they took out the accelerometer of my phone too when i was taking pictures of them one day oh i got a little too close and yeah no more no more compass in my phone my old phone (laughs) yeah so they're they're scary clamps awesome oddly enough um, i have a very small magnet story I built this cool little, who remembers, they're not really popular anymore, but the little point-and-shoot digital cameras are about the size of a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, Canon made a bunch of them, so did Sony. Yeah. I used to take that with me because it would fit my tuxedo pocket when I was going to the Cannes Film Festival, and they wouldn't let big cameras into areas, but that takes video in addition to photos. But it did, because it was a point-and-shoot camera, if you're taking video, it didn't have an onboard lighting system. So I made one out of a big aluminum heat sink that was slightly longer than the camera. And I had made a... I got these... I bent a little frame to hold these small 
um, it's either six volt or 12 volt batteries. I can't remember. They were tiny, but I held it on with magnets. That's how it attached to the system. And anyway, so I was very proud of this and it worked really, really well. And it was, was an awesome thing to have until I accidentally put it down on top of my laptop and it scrambled the hard drive. Mm. Brilliant. Which Brilliant. That, that I still have that hard drive and I'm, I'm saving up to have it recovered. Wait, waiting for the day that technology catches up and can undo it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's something salvageable because they weren't super strong magnets, but they were strong enough. They, you know, anyway. I just want to point out that magnets are so cool that it completely derailed this podcast. We're talking about clamping. PJ, what'd you find about clamping? I decided to do a deep dive and uh, I looked into where clamps came from. And um, as it turns out, it comes from the Greeks, uh, the Greek god, Clampatite, oh God, I can't even say this name, Clampatites, Clampatites, something like that, is the Greek god of architecture. And he saw these two Greeks having trouble building the Parthenon. These, uh, the, the architects were Ictonios, Ictinios, it's hard to pronounce these names, and Calicrates, or Calicrates, I don't know, I'm probably massacring these names. Anyway, he invented clamps uh, for these two to create the Parthenon, and uh, he, he didn't want to go down and do it, so he had his sister, Clampmidia, deliver the clamps, and, uh, and that's, that's all I got. <laughs> it's like a total wash. Uh, I'm hoping that there's someone following up on, uh, behind you on that Wikipedia page that you just finished up. <laughs> What was the sister's name? I'm sorry, I missed that. Can you say that three times fast? Clampmidia. Clampmidia. She was a sickly sister. Oh, that is... <laughs> Don't Google that. <laughs> I think that's it. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right, this week we have another Listener's Dealer's Corner. And this comes in from my buddy Juan at Old Timey Tools on Instagram. And this is what he wrote in. My best deal of the year happened this week, which I found hilarious because he sent this to me on January 2nd. (laughs) I was looking for a delta fence for my 20-inch bandsaw. Old delta table saws use the same fence. So I searched Facebook Marketplace and found a combo table saw jointer, and the guy wanted $300. I said I would buy the fence for $100. They go for more than that on eBay. He said I could have it all for $100. Score. As I was loading, he asked me if I like this old stuff. I said, yeah. He tells me he has a storage unit with stuff from his great-grandfather and grandfather, and he wants to get rid of it. I don't feel attachment to stuff, and my picker's heart rejoiced. Turns out his great-grandfather was a boat builder, and his grandfather was, in, was a World War I veteran and had good taste in tools. The booty highlights include a 604 and 606 bedrock hand planes, a Starrett Spirit level, which I believe that was the 6-inch one. It was bigger than the one that I have. Uh, Jacoba chucks, augers, molding, block and other hand planes, a stack of 1930s woodworking magazines and catalogs, and the price, I paid $40 more than he asked for. 
And he sent a bunch of pictures, which we will include on the Instagram page. Uh, he's got a bunch of Jacob Chucks, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff he didn't list. But basically, everything for 140 bucks. That is definitely an awesome dealer's corner. That's like winning that that amazing storage, and you didn't even have to like bid on it as a guess. You went and picked your your best storage, and you got it for the 140 bucks. I love it when that happens. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. Tom, what is your personal history with clamping? I don't know. (laughs) Personal history? Like, I didn't really... I I don't think I used... Did they use clamps when you were a baby? (laughs) They must have. I mean, that would be an an early start to a history of clamping. My first clamp was a clothespin... And I used them to hang up clothes. I don't know. I used, I, I really haven't used clamps at rec- until, you know, last four, five, six years, seven years, something like this. And, and I just, I, I use them for woodworking. That's it. Nothing fancy. But recently, somewhat recently, I bought enough clamps. Do you remember this? Yes. All right, so you can never have enough clamps, but I bought enough clamps. It's possible. Although although the only clamps I don't have that I do want is a good like 5 or 6 50-inch parallel clamps. That's the only <laughs> clamps I don't have. Those I need. So if anybody has those, you can just ship them to me. I'll give you my address. Uh, but I bought $600 from one guy for an entire cabinet of clamps came with the cabinet the cabinet is seven feet tall four three and a half almost four feet wide and it is double stacked so the doors have clamps in them and it's enough clamps i don't i don't need to buy any more clamps i i really like the bessie f style clamps those are the ones um it's like a bar clamp with uh well two pieces that make it look like an F and you, it has a hand screw to tighten down. I really like those. They're really controllable and, uh, they don't rack very easily when you're tightening down a piece. You know, if you have those two pieces of wood together and there's glue between them, that can be slippery. And when you start to tighten that screw, if the clamp starts to rack, the wood starts to move too. So you can get a nice little light grip on them, put a few on and then start to tighten each one down pretty good. So I like those. Uh, I don't know. Other personal history of clamping? Tom, you kind of left out the best part. What? Which is that that $600 worth of clamps that were all Bessie clamps. Oh, they were. Well, yes. 90% of them were Bessie clamps. There were some weird things in there too, like like straight guides. Um, you like slap a straight guide down on a on a piece of plywood, you can clamp it and then run your circular saw on it. There were like six of those. And I had just recently got a track saw. So those were useless to me. I gave them away, but I actually sold a bunch of clamps. There were a bunch of pipe clamps in there. Some were, uh, a lot of them were rockler and they had like the nice rockler plastic cover rubber pads and stuff. And I sold, I don't remember the number, but out of the 600, I think I've got 150 bucks in it. I think I've sold 450 worth of clamps and kept enough clamps. There you go. Not bad. 
Definitely not bad. I mean, I would love to find a cache of stuff like that. I am a Bessie fan myself. Even though they're red, I don't hold it against them. I mean, they could make some blue clamps, <laughs> wouldn't kill them, but you know. Well, that's Rockler. The reason I started laughing when you said that that's what you wanted is because 50-inch parallel Bessie clamps were the first clamps that I bought. Oh, really? Yeah, back when I was like 21 or 22 years old and I didn't own like hardly any tools. Yeah. I needed to do, I needed clamps for, I was making, of all things, I was making salad tongs for Christmas presents, which is probably like the smallest thing that you could ever need to clamp. And I bought the biggest clamps ever because I figured, oh, well, sometime in the future, I'll need big clamps. So I should just buy big ones now. And so, like, literally, it was like, it looked like a cartoon. Like, I'm clamping, like, these tiny little things with these clamps that are, like, I don't know, like, 30 pounds each. And um, and so that was, that was, like, how I started. And for the longest time, those were the only clamps I owned. Like, I didn't, I probably went, like, 10, 15 years, and I didn't have any other clamps. Like, that was it. Like, if I needed to clamp something, it didn't matter what it was. That's like, awesome. Like, a lot of stuff got clamped upside down just so that the bars could be on the ground because they were so heavy. Whatever I was clamping wouldn't support the weight. <laughs> so. You really do You really do need a lot of clamps. You know, I love those little... I have little six-inch Bessie F-style clamps. I got a bunch of them, and I use those so much because so many times you're just laminating something. You're putting two pieces of plywood together, you know, flat. And those those do the trick, or you're putting on, I don't know, or you're just clamping something down to your workbench. You don't need much. So I use those a lot, but it's true. You do not want to use a clamp that is too big. Just it's so annoying and, and cumbersome. And what always happens is you end up dropping it, or it, the weight pulls it off the table, and it falls on the ground, and it's mm-hmm. it's a disaster. Right, tips it over. Yeah, I'm still envisioning yeah. the look on uh, PJ's friend's face, who told him you should really scale up this salad tong operation, and and then you <laughs> made it, and then you made him these four foot salad tongs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's weird you should say that. Do you remember in the '80s they were really popular those giant spoons and forks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, they weren't salad. Uh, for for specifically for salads but i remember they were like three four feet long i don't know who was marketing those but they were everywhere it's like the sort of thing you would see yeah exactly it's the sort of thing you would see if you go into like a cracker barrel or a you know if you guys have like the old-timey store restaurants um like evans i think back in your area and they have all of this like you know tchotchke stuff up on the wall it's Mm. it looks like that yeah Oh, I just I just realized that was the fork that for Paul Bunyan that that you know Tom <laughs> was looking for last week when he was uh, searching somebody's kitchen. That's right. That's right. Yeah. This big. <laughs> the, this the giant. Big. The giant fork. The giant fork, and it wasn't in the right spot. Call back to last week. Um, yeah. I don't remember buying clamps. I I don't have a memory of like actually going to buy clamps. I think every time I have ever bought a clamp in my life, I was mid project. I ran out of clamps. I, you know, I needed some, you know, odd little clamp to finish something, but it was not like going with intention to, oh, I'm going to have to buy some clamps or put some on order or something. It was something that I was at the, at the hardware store getting everything else that I needed. And it was just this incidental, yeah, I should probably get a couple more clamps. 
And it was whatever I was, you know, I just walked by him in the aisle and I bought them. Uh, so I, I don't really recall buying clamps with intention. For a while, every time I went to Home Depot, I just threw a four pack of Bessie F-style clamps in my cart. It's it's 20 bucks. And if you do it over time, it doesn't feel so painful. Right. Clamp tax. <laughs> Clamp tax. So a couple of, not maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, I was really big into the Instagram giveaways. And I was, I was trying to win Bessie clamps like all the time. Like every time there was a Bessie clamp giveaway, I was just going bananas and I'd never won a single one. But I did get a few, I won a few giveaways where I won a gift card. Like I won a gift card for 50 bucks for Home Depot. And I'm like, ah, this is gonna be Bessie clamps. That's that's all this, this, uh, this is going to buy as many packages, as many four packs as I can get. But I waited until they put that $20 pack on sale for 15 bucks because it always mm-hmm. goes on sale around some holidays. So I ended up getting like three packs of Bessie clamps with that gift card and they're still unopened <laughs> because I had intended ah. to do a YouTube video. Um, the only bad thing about that package of clamps is that they come with really small wood handles. And I always felt like larger handles would be easier to make them you know they're easier to use if they're bigger handles you got more to grip when you're trying to tighten down so i wanted to come up with this method of taking a piece of wood and drilling out the hole that was the right diameter for the handles that exist and then maybe making like an octagonal surface like uh you know on the bandsaw with a sled or on the table saw where you're just flipping the piece of wood and then you cut like this octagonal shape into it and then you just slide it on and glue it in place and then bam you know you got instant handles for all of your bessie f clamps and i'm like oh this is going to be great everybody loves these clamps and i I just never did it (laughs) i never made the video so they're still still there in the package brand new unopened yeah, the small wooden handles. I've got a bunch of bar clamps with the small wooden handles, and it's it's like it's one way or the other. If you're working with, you have a sawdust on your hands, your hands are really dry, then you just can't get a grip on them. Yeah. And if your hands have any moisture in them at all, I mean, you could you could raise a blister on your hand with them that you grip so well. But it's never in between. It's always like you can't get it tight or it's got this amazing grip. I like the ones I have that have the rubbery rubbery grip that was the other thing i wanted to inset rubber in addition to them being octagonal uh, my discount store sells these rubber mats like hard rubber floor mats and a lot of them come with a pattern that's like a grippy pattern and i wanted to figure out how to um, epoxy them into it so that way they also had rubber grips i suppose you could plastic dip them two things i don't know what you guys are talking about and b those handles are fine. I want to talk about this. You do not need to apply that much force to a clamp. And if and if the handle is insufficient, it's probably not the handle. It's the screw that is not maybe waxed or it's started to corrode or something like that. Sidebar, Tanda, I don't think Tom has any clue what the hell we're talking about. I, yeah, I think he. I think he's just winging it. I think he's talking about something completely different. But you know, it's easy to get lost because I noticed that binder clips were listed under clamps as well. So, do you think he's using binder clips? That could explain a lot of things. It could be. You know, they've got that slick, shiny top, hard to get a hold of. 
and you don't really need to twist it. You just put it on. I think that's what he's thinking of because you don't really need to twist the handle on a binder clip. So that's very true. I mean, uh, up, up, here, here he comes. All right, all right, all right so Tom, you, you don't have any yeah. trouble turning the clamp handles? Nope, no trouble turning clamp handles. <clears throat> that seems perfectly logical. I think my problem is I'm often clamping like flat pieces of metal together. And mm. so I do want to clamp it down a little more because it's like two pieces of metal I'm getting ready to weld together. And, and I don't want them sliding, you know, one on the other. And flat metal doesn't tend to, uh, to grip without much force on it. Mm. So I think that's when I find myself really wanting to tighten down on a clamp. If I'm woodworking, a little bit of pressure is good. I acknowledge your rebuttal, but that's all. Well, now, are you using woodworking clamps on metal? Yes. I'm going to step up and admit that right now. Why don't you have C-clamps? There's no problem there. I have C-clamps, and I have, uh, you know, like the vice grip style welding clamps and, and other clamps. But sometimes you just have, like, two pieces of square tubing or something, and they're 20 inches long. And you can't get a C-clamp on it. I don't have a—I I would like to get a nice welding table— with fixturing setups mm. on it, but my mm-hmm. welding table is just a flat piece of steel. And so it doesn't really have provision for clamping and squaring. And so I find myself taking my fireball tools clamps, clamping them with bar clamps onto things, you know, and then clamping the other side. And they're great for that because they have that like flat inset. Mm-hmm. They're not, uh, you know, they're not solid. They're hollow on the backside. And, so they're good for, you know, clamping things to them and holding it square. Who doesn't like a hollow backside? There's bound to be at least uh, a few million out there. Tom, Tom's. <laughs> I'm not touching this. <laughs> You're on your own. You're on your own. I love touching a hollow backside, Tom. That's what I'm all about. So oh, speaking of PJ's clamps. PJ's gone south this episode. <laughs> there's, no. there's a reason for it, but I'm not going to tell you till the end of the show. So. I have a, a good amount of clamps, but as I said, for many years, all I had were, were those two large Bessie clamps. And as I started to acquire more clamps, they all had to be bargains and deals. So with the exception of some Harbor Fruget clamps that I got with discount coupons, every other clamp that I've gotten has either come out of an auction or it has come at a severe discount, uh, like my discount store that I go to every Tuesday one time I went there and they had a box of Irwin clamps, which included, it was a five pack. It had two 12 inch quick grip clamps and then two six inch quick grip clamps. And then one of those uh, lobster claw uh, C clamps. I don't know what they're called, but it's like a quick, I don't know, it looks like a lobster claw to me. Anyway, uh, that entire box was $15. And if you look up one of the Irwin 12-inch clamps, those are 20 bucks a piece, just just for one. So this, so I bought three boxes of those. I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm all over that. Nice. There was a guy on Facebook Marketplace that was selling clamps. Uh, was, well, he was liquidating his dad his dad's shop, and his dad had a whole bunch of clamps, and I bought like five containers of small tiny clamps i think it was a total of like 150 or 170 clamps for ten dollars you know i mean they're all plastic spring clamps you know they weren't anything special and actually i kind of overextended a couple of them i 
clamp things that were too big, and I'd be walking by, and then all of a sudden I'd hear something shatter and go flying across the room, and it was the the spring clamp, one of the ends just snapped, and I just, oh, well, I guess I need to get another one, and then that one would snap too. So then I stopped using them, uh, and I I don't know, I've picked them up. A lot of them are from auctions though. Well, I got it's there. I have found when you go to auctions, there is one of two situations. Either no one wants the clamps and you can get them for next to nothing, or everyone wants them and they're paying more than retail. So you just got to know your prices right there. As it stands, though, I have a good amount of clamps. I definitely don't have like Tom clampage. Tom's got probably more clamps than anybody <laughs> right at this point. Uh, but I would like to get some nicer Bessie clamps. They have, I think that they set the standard, in my opinion, for quality. I like that they're uh, they're constantly innovating. I see other other companies making things, but Bessie is always coming out with new ways to, to they're constantly innovating their clamping systems. And every time I see something new from them, it doesn't come off as like a gimmick. It comes off as an improvement which is, that's why I like them. I am big on quality, uh, but I like to get it at a discount if possible. And I didn't mention this earlier, but when I got that set of parallel clamps, they were, I think, $45 per clamp. And I hunted around, even back then, I hunted around and I managed to find them at Lowe's for $38 a clamp. And so just that small savings was enough to be like, oh, I'm buying two. You know, that was, I, I only needed one, but I, I had to have a pair, you know. Anyway, I don't have, other than what I've told you, I don't have any other clamping history. Like, I, there was, I don't remember anything from when I was a kid. There was no sort of clamping anything going on. Uh, and I didn't own anything prior to those two large Bessie clamps other than, like, maybe clothespins, like Tom. Yeah, we just had pipe clamps. I, that's all I remember is having a lot of big, and I don't know what brand they were. They were orange. This was long before Rigid was around. Probably Pony. Yeah, and you just and you could make them yourself. You could just thread the pipe and make them any length you wanted, or you buy them with the with the piece of pipe. Earliest clamp memory was the Hot Wheels track had this little plastic C clamp that you would clip to the edge of a table and then hand tighten but with with well, your hand, uh, a screw, and it would always bind and twist and just, like, shoot off the end of the table because it sucked so bad. <laughs> that is, that's amazing. <laughs> because as you were saying that, I was going to say, and you crank it down until it twists the clamp, and it's still not clamping because uh, our neighbors had yeah. had this great Hot Wheels area. They had an unfinished basement, and one end of it had no walls, um, no internal walls. And then they had some rooms that were just, you know, they had the studs, but no drywall or anything up. And so we would clamp the, the Hot Wheels track up to one of the studs on the, you know, on one end of the basement. Like, you know, I think we got up on a chair to put the Hot Wheels up. Um, mm -hmm. But that's funny because I, I can picture that exact plastic clamp like bent over <laughs> sideways because we were trying to get it to hold and and it was yeah. bending rather than clamping awful awful you end up just like putting an extra piece of track on the table and putting you know half your stack of encyclopedias that everybody had i have two sets yeah. still i kind of wanted to look for a set like they got to be free 
Probably, yeah. People that probably want you to haul them off. I've, I've actually got a printer that is so heavy that I could not lift it up onto a table. It's one of these big office printers. And so I ended up stacking two stacks of encyclopedias and I would stack one on one side and put the printer up on it. And then I would lift up the side of the printer and put another encyclopedia and lift up the side of the printer until it was tabletop height and then slide it off of the stacks of the encyclopedias. And that was, that was the last time I used. I could do a whole episode on encyclopedia usage. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. I use my encyclopedias. Don't think they're just sitting on a shelf collecting dust. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how else are you going to make a, a, uh, a blanket fort? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Put a bunch of encyclopedias on a high ledge with a blanket under it that you then pull down and clobber yourself with encyclopedias. Well, there's 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 a clamping option. Books. I mean, yeah, who ha- who hasn't used books for clamping? I mean, <laughs> if, if you're a listener and you haven't used books to clamp something, we want to hear from you. So that we can ban you and block you and do a sidebar about you. I haven't done any book clamping. He's lying. Look at that stack of books right there under his air conditioner. He's got like he's got like 17 books stacked up, and there's probably a piece of laminate under there that he's forgotten all about. Yeah. All right, fine. You caught me. I, I clamped one book with another book, so I guess that counts. There you go. I was I was making a leather journal. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware, and today we have a special on the fits-all clamp. It's the one-size-fits-all clamp. Comes in a roll, and it's an adhesive clamp. We have rolls in both blue and green, and they can be extended to clamp most anything. Come and get them today. They're just $49.95 for a half roll. We sell them in half rolls. You have to buy two half rolls, but... For that same price, you get two half rolls or four half rolls. And it's buy one, get one for the same price, $49.95. At Johnson's Hardware, you'll find us at Maker Skills something or other. Oh yeah, Patreon slash Maker Skills. That's where you'll find us. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding, kids. Tom, what skill goes well with clamping? Well, I don't know if any of you guys do this, but uh, I'm going to say woodworking. Woodworking. That seems valid. You know, I don't really do I don't do woodworking so much as I occasionally work with wood. I don't know if you would call what I do woodworking. I definitely don't work for wood myself. That's true. I think that's it for you, Tom. All right, Tanda? I don't work for wood. You know, I mean... If you tried using me for a piece of wood, I'd be, you know, all squishy and you'd clamp me or put a nail in me. It'd just be horrible. I think Tom is the only one that, that, that can go that direction. So we're, we're just going to not talk about it anymore. Tanda, what, what, did you, what skill goes well with clamping? I think that usually I am either grinding. When I clamp something, I'm grinding or drilling on it. So usually I'm not doing woodworking. I'm clamping a piece of metal down to something or clamping it to a drill press or getting ready to weld on it. That seems to be when I'm reaching for the clamps. And of course I do woodworking some. I use clamps, but it's nothing nothing out of the ordinary and it's nothing usual. So that's that's kind of what I pair it with. But I do have a clamp tip when we get around to that. There's no tip section, Tanda. 
There's no tip section. No. Yeah, we don't want to hear it. PJ, what uh, <laughs> what do you pair this with? So I think the obvious choice here is if you're going to be clamping something, you got to have like good surfaces. So hand planing, hand planing is definitely one of those skills that you've got to you got to work at because otherwise the surfaces are not going to be you know they're not going to join up well. So you need to be able to hand plane something nice and flat so that when you're joining the two together, the glue actually works when you clamp it. Otherwise, you're going to have gaps, and no one wants that. I uh, I made my dining room table not long ago, if you guys recall. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's it's eight-quarter walnut. Well, it's really like seven-quarter now that I've planed it down. <clears throat> and I used my planer, not my hand planer. That's ridiculous and crazy. Who would use that? What? Uh, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. So I used my planer and, or I'm sorry, my jointer. Oh, I'm talking about the wrong thing. My jointer. And when you put a table together, you want to eliminate the error of your jointer's fence. So you run one board one way and then the next board that meets up with it, you run the opposite way so that whatever error is in the angle is offset. Does that make sense? I know Mm -hmm. you can't possibly explain that without visuals, but I thought I did that, and I didn't. I doubled the error, but now my... Mm. And so you have a table that looks like a barrel. Yeah. (laughs) But my error was so small that it's okay. (laughs) So my fence was so dead on that across the table, I'm only off a few thou, but... If I point it out to you, you can see it. It's awful, and I hate it. I'm going to burn the table. It makes good firewood. Rant requests. All right. Straight from the Instagrams, we got the Universal Woodworker wants to know where to find reclaimed raw materials. I guess they don't have them wherever he is. I think he's in New York. I mean, the obvious place for me is the dumpster. Which one? All of them. Hmm. For sure. I will say this. You can't find reclaimed raw materials. They've all they've all been pre-cooked to some degree. But you can find lots of things to make things with. Most of mine are definitely medium well. I, I haven't found yeah. them raw. That's true. I got to agree with you there. <clears throat> so, but uh, joking aside, don't expect to find exactly what you need. You need to just collect an infinite amount of... And then one of those pieces of will pan out. That's the game. I think that one one avenue to get material that maybe isn't it is fairly new material. It may not be the right size. Is so many big manufacturers, whether it's a big cabinet shop or a big metalworking shop or machine shop, as a maker, you don't realize that just due to the economics of of running a big operation, a cabinet shop will throw out scraps of what you would find to be amazing. I mean, they might be three or four feet long, great project size, you know, really good lumber. Maybe it's already planed. And my shop used to be next to a cabinet shop and, you know, it's scrapped to them. And the same with fabrication shops and machine shops. I mean, before I started uh, doing a little more machining, I I was surprised at what people were just willing to give me. You know, I'd say, do you have any, you know, scrap, you know, tool steel or, oh yeah, we have a few chunks around. And they would give me a chunk that would cost me a hundred bucks to buy. And it was scrap to them. 
because a customer paid $3,000 for them to make some special fixture. And this was the five inch offcut. Mm -hmm. And it was, it had been on the shelf for five years. The place I bought my lathe from gave me two boxes of tool steel, Delrin, aluminum blocks, all kinds of stuff, just because they were clearing out their work shed where the lathe was at the same time. So that's an avenue. When I went to visit with uh, Sean and Kyle, those machinist guys that uh, gave me the sander last week, they started asking me, like, had I been to all these different machinist shops in the area? Because I was telling them that I just pick up stuff wherever I can. And they're like, oh, have you been to McAdoo Machinery? And I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't know they were there. Oh, well, have you been to this place over here? And they just started naming off places. And so when the weather, you know, like when it's actually like warm enough and there's no snow on the ground, that's on my list of things to do is to go to these machine shops and just be like, hey, you guys got any like scrap lying around you don't want? And it doesn't matter how big it is. And nine times out of ten, it's all going to be piled in a corner. Or it'll be out back. There was, I'm trying to remember, I think it was the Upstate Tool Guy. I think that was his name on Instagram. He was walking around like there was like a machinery graveyard. It was all this stuff, like like uh, Bridgeport mills and surface grinders and all this stuff just sitting out there. Some of it was covered. Some of it wasn't. And I'm like, dude, where the heck are you? And he goes... Um, I'm out in the back behind this machinist shop. They just put all this stuff outside when they can't use it anymore. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. And I'm looking at this stuff. This is easily like stuff that could totally be used. And it's, now it's all rusted from being outside, but it's to it's salvageable. It's like you could make it work. And they don't they don't have any use for it. So like I'm hoping mm -hmm. I'm hoping that that's what I'm gonna find. I'm gonna go to this place in McAdoo, which is like 10 minutes away from where I live. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah, just go outside. You can take anything that's in the back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the fabrication, there's a fabrication shop next to my shop now. And they have a bin that's probably, and this is just mild steel, but it's probably the size of a small dumpster. And they fill it every six weeks. And they sell it, you know, I'm sure they, you know, the scrap people come with their truck and pick it up and they sell it as scrap. And, you know, worst case, they would sell it to you for scrap prices but more often than not if you just want two or three pieces they're just going to say take it because they're going to get you know a few cents for it scrap by the way i i should mention my earlier statement of finding things in the dumpster uh, the universal woodworker who's james he did say where do we get it well uh i just drive down the street and when i see a dumpster i stop i mean it, it doesn't matter where i am i will if even if like if i have to go somewhere i'll stop on the way back and I have done that from picking up things like if I'm going to meet somebody on Facebook Marketplace to buy something from them and I see a dumpster on the way, I will stop on the way back and just pick through it. And I did that, I think, in October or November, like one of the last uh, trips I made. There was I, I picked up a bunch of stuff and I sold some of it. Some of it I still have. Uh, the other thing is anytime you see any kind of construction, they always have a dumpster. And construction usually means you're getting brand new materials that are cutoffs or stuff that they couldn't use in whatever it is they're building, and it just gets thrown in the dumpster. I, I remember there was one construction dumpster. I think I pulled probably 20 or 30. It was either two-foot or three-foot long two-by-fours that were brand new. They, just, they were cutoffs. They had no use for them. 
but they're perfect for like making a table or you know whatever you need you know you just need like a two by four for something so always look for construction um companies that are or anyone you know if you have if, if you see a dumpster outside somebody's house just go knock on their door and be like hey I like to salvage things so they don't go to the junkyard. Do you mind if I look through your dumpster? And most of the time, they'll be like, yeah, sure. I don't care. Because they're throwing it out, so it doesn't matter to them. Tom, do you have anything else? Yeah, I've, I've been ripping apart a lot of electronics lately. Most of them are things that I have I own or I'll, I'll pick up or get from someone else that just knows that I'm into that stuff. You know, I asked for broken laptops a couple weeks ago. I got six of them within 24 hours. And I'm harvesting the batteries, and I'm, I don't know why I'm keeping CD-ROM drives, but I am at the moment. I'll throw them out soon. But There's cool little steppers. Right. And little linear actuators in CD-ROM drives. Somebody made a Christmas ornament, a 3D printed Christmas ornament that is a 3D printer that prints Christmas ornaments. <laughs> Have you seen this? No. I got through that clean i hope that was i hope you understood that it's a it's a christmas ornament the size of my microphone and it it's like the snowball microphone i don't know what to call it um it's like the size of a softball and it prints little christmas ornaments and he used a cd-rom drive uh and there's like you said there's a little stepper motor in there and he used that to create this thing it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant you need to post that on the Instagram account, Tom, for people yeah, to see. Yeah, I tried to look for it the other day. I'm going to look for it now. You guys can finish up the show. I'm just going to do this. I think the only other place that I would say to find raw materials other than dumpsters is I got to go with Old Faithful. Go out on garbage day and just drive around. People put all kinds of stuff out for you to take for free. Yeah, I think that like industrial areas, which is where my shop is, are kind of known for that as well. If it's kind of like an industrial area that's kind of off off of a metropolitan area, they'll often do the same. They'll just set stuff out knowing that someone's going to come by and pick it up. And it could be, you know, office furniture or old equipment or, of course, pallets. But there's so often there are machines that aren't working as machines anymore that have a lot of good stuff in them. That brings up an interesting thing. I tore apart a printer a long time ago and it had a bunch of steel uh, stainless steel shafts for different things i keep them in case i need to you know um, stick a shaft down a hole and hit it with a hammer to get something out that's stuck Um, but i happened to redo for the new year's i painted a baby bullet a wilton baby bullet vice and abstract art but the handle the bar that slides through the threaded rod was totally jacked up to the point where it was no longer salvageable in my opinion. So what I did was I took one of those stainless steel rods and just cut it to size. And then to cap the ends, I had this, I don't know where I got it from, but I had these little brass caps that were for something. And I just epoxied them on the ends. So now I have brass caps on the ends of this handle. It looks really, really cool. I don't think I paid for any of that stuff. That was all completely salvaged. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything you want to say to wrap up the show? I do. A Christmas ornament that 3D prints smaller 
Christmas ornaments. Hold on one second. You can't hold on to seconds, Tom. They're too small. Oh, they are. Yeah. Uh, I got it here. Sean Hodgins. S-E-A-N-H-O-D-G-I-N-S. It's it's incredible. He made a tiny resin printer, and a resin printer has a lot less moving parts than a FDM printer, which is what you're... If you don't know anything about 3D printer, you know what an FDM printer is. That's the one you're thinking of. But a resin printer just uses one axis, the Z-axis, to go up and down, and it dips it dips into a, a reservoir of resin, and under the reservoir of resin is a UV screen that cures a single layer at a time so it dips in gets this the screen flashes an image it brings it up and then dips down again that's all you need to know and it and it's hanging on his christmas tree and it's printing tiny ornaments and it's incredible that's gonna make a big mess on the floor i mean those i'm assuming that those little tiny ornaments are just falling all over the place no you got to do one at a time and take it off yourself it's not that cool come on tanda i know you've been dying to give us some kind of tip Oh, yeah. Yeah, here in the tips section of the show. All right, we'll we'll let her do it. We'll let her do no, it. No, what I was going to say, and this got a lot of attention back, I don't know, I posted it years ago when I, I found it in my shop, and it will take a little imagination, but if you picture a wooden um, clothespin, like your, your old traditional wooden clothespin, it's got a spring in the middle, and it's got like two half circles cut out of the wood, and then the clip is on there. If you just grab that, I know that you have a laser, Tom, and of course a lot of people have 3D printers. If you just grab that design and copy that little half circle section in the middle and the two little slots where the edges of the, or, you know, where the spring clips in. So just make a copy of a paper clip or excuse me, a clothespin, like you were going to make your own 3D printed or laser cut clothespin and throw that into your CAD system. Now, if you need to hold on to like little tiny objects with weird shapes or whatever, just take your model and extend the end of the clothespin out and make it a big curve, make it, you know, five little waffle shapes, um, make it open up seven inches and then, uh, and then close down to a little square. So if there are any little tiny, you know, objects that you're clamping, maybe you're making up a whole bunch of 3D printed parts that you're gluing together or you're making a bunch of little wooden parts and you just need some really cheap clamps. Mm-hmm. Go buy yourself a pack of the little like mini clothespin pins, laser cut out all of these little clamps, take the springs out of the mini clothespins, put them into your laser cut or 3D printed clamps, and you can make all kinds of ends to hold little tiny things that you're gluing up and maybe you need you know 40 clamps because you want to glue 40 of these little things at a time. You can make those with 40 clothespins and 3D printer or laser cutter. That's a great idea. It almost reminds me of what a blacksmith does with his tongs, where he forms the tongs to hold the part that he wants to hold. Uh, he can do that on the fly, too. Little V-grooves for different size things, and that's a great idea. I like it. Right, or I'm sure there are blacksmiths out there that have just hack their tongs by just welding something onto the ends of the tongs so they can still use it as a tongue right. or a set of tongs, but hold something different, you know, weld some kind of little extension onto the tongs. So same effect. Very cool. You're just giving that tip because I don't have a 3D printer yet. I know I know how you're mm-hmm. working, Tanda. Well, I got tips. I got 3D printing clamp tips too. 
Okay. Uh, you know what I got? Well, you could you, you could just plow, push the clothespin down in a piece of clay, and then you could just resin cast copies. But then you can mold the clay to be whatever tips you want, and then you just pull a whole bunch of resin casts out of that. You're just saying that because you know I don't have clay or resin, don't you? You knew that I don't have clay or resin, and so <laughs> that's I, why you're saying that. If I that. had those materials, I could make things too. So on a serious note, one of the reasons I want a 3D printer is specifically for clamps. I have bought, as I mentioned, many clamps at auction, and the little plastic covers that go over the clamping heads are gone. They are never existed or whatever. So for pipe clamps specifically, I want to be able to 3D print a little piece to slide over it so that it has like a soft jaw. But then the other thing is you lose sometimes those little covers that come on the F clamps. They just pop off and you have no idea where they went. Or a lot of times they suck. I would like to really make a version two cover for F clamps that snaps into place and won't come off. So that's another thing I want to do with a 3D printer. Uh, and the only other thing I have to say is that Today is my birthday, so I'm one year wiser. What? Yeah. Oh, happy birthday. You did mention uh, in one of your Instagrams, I believe, you, you tipped that. You, you said that it should be here by my birthday. I hinted, yeah. I did hint. Oh. Uh, and by the way, as if by... Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. As if by Christmas miracle, my batteries did show up today through the Postal Service. I was completely shocked and amazed because I'm still waiting on stuff through the Postal Service that has not shown up. That has been shipped way before those batteries were shipped. But, uh, yeah, I got one charge. I'm, I'm waiting anxiously for a T-shirt that isn't even mine. That makes no sense. So, Tell us more. So <laughs> I, get, I hear this knock on the shop door, and, and this kid's standing outside the shop door, and his dad's sitting in the truck. And he's like, did you get a T-shirt here? It was, and, I, and I'm like, and I'm like, no, I didn't get a T-shirt. And he's like, are you sure? And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I think I would know if I just got a got a T-shirt. And uh, well, it turns out their address. They live on the other side of the street and down a ways. And the dad transposed the two numbers on the shirt. But they've been back like three times. Did our did the shirt come in? <laughs> is our shirt in and so i find myself like checking the mail every day hoping i'm going to get this shirt so that i can you know not have not you're going to be so excited when it shows up <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know maybe maybe they got this shirt from the black market or something maybe there's something else yeah. in there they're they're too awfully eager that this shirt oh, has not, not has shirt. not has not it's gone missing not shirt. yeah they're, they're they're really worried about this missing shirt Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't leave a phone number either which would be much simpler that's another dead giveaway oh no i got their phone number so uh yeah i, I feel don't like know this is a scam that it's a new phishing scam and <laughs> you're about to be victim of it i i think so you mind if we come in the shop and look for the shirt <laughs> did they mention a dead royal relative from another country is that yeah that's who they ordered it for it's a it's a <laughs> it's a chic shirt deadroyaltshirts.com oh yeah. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter, on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. 
We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. I'm sick and tired of all this bull pocket. So, Tom, I understand there's something grinding your gears. You want to get off your chest? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the answer to what I'm complaining about is probably user error. But I, I, I ordered some raspberry pies. If you don't know what those are, they are not fruit-filled pastries, but rather a credit card-sized computer, uh, kind of like an Arduino. Not nothing like an Arduino, but they're in the same family, kind of, sort of. And I'm doing something called a retro pie. It's it's a vintage arcade on a Raspberry Pi. So it's emulators for every every system known to man. You know, from Atari to Nintendo to PlayStation, and you can illegally steal games from the internet and put them on there and enjoy enjoy your childhood all over again. And the thing that's frustrating is that stuff like that, just, it never works right away. It always takes hours and hours of troubleshooting. Troubleshooting that sometimes other people have experienced, but none of the resolutions help you. And then other times it's things that nobody has ever experienced. And, and like I said at the very beginning, it's almost certainly always user error. But you don't know what user error you used. I can certainly empathize with that. And I've, you know, you can really go down a rabbit hole because it seems to be that it's one of those things that you can find too many answers. So, you know, Mm -hmm. there's some configuration error or there's, you know, some file that you're missing or some utility that's a rev back and it needs to be a, a particular rev for that installation. And there are 20 answers, and they're all in conflict with one another. And you, you're just hopeful as you go out there looking for it that you're going to type it in and you're going to get this overwhelming response of, oh, here's what it is, here's how you fix it. But that's never the case. It's 20 different people saying 20 different things or, or simply saying, I have the same problem. I tried this, I tried this, I tried this, and I still can't find it, which is, I mean, sometimes that's useful because it keeps you from trying those things, but... Oftentimes, you, yeah. it's... And what they leave out is when when you do search that 30-word sentence of your exact problem and actually find the answer, that someone else has typed those same exact 30 words in that order, and you do the thing, what they leave out of that post is the next problem that they immediately ran into after doing that. And you have to start all over again. And they probably quit, so they didn't do another post of another thirty words. Um, it's just it's frustrating. Or the, or there's or there's the stack up. You know, they did that, and they happen to have three point two seven of the thing you have three point two zero of. So they didn't hit right. that next problem. Yeah. Exactly. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never had any of those problems. No, it's okay. No one knows what we're talking about, including us. So you're you're in good company. No, I mean, I understand exactly what you're talking about. I've just never had those problems before. Oh, come on. Come on, PJ. You've never had problems like that? Not like what you're talking about, no. Everything PJ's ever done just works. It just works like magic. Yeah. Just works like magic. Well, that's because I'm made of magic. That's why it works.
In fact, he finishes everything up so quickly, he spends the rest of his time out there on Wikipedia and other websites, just writing up things to lead people like you and I astray. And he finds this fascinating. He's the guy on Yahoo Answers that answered everything in 1997 that we referenced till today. Exactly, exactly. He went back in time and created answers on search engines that only existed back then so that we would find them ahead of anything usable. Look at him smirking. You know he did it. There's no way for you to prove it. (laughs) Uh, No, it's just frustrating. Everyone has their own threshold. And, you know, you get really excited about doing something and creating something. And there's just a certain amount of roadblocks where you just go, meh, forget it. So I've got this thing working for the most part, but it's only working with the older systems like NES, SNES, and Sega, and those systems because the ROMs that go to them are are much simpler. I was trying to get some PlayStation games to work. I've Googled a bunch of stuff. It's just not happening. And I think that's the consolation. Like, I'm not going to get it all to work, but I'm going to get some things to work, and that'll be okay. Yeah, it's very cool. I've I've I had a RetroPie install. It may be floating around here somewhere. And, you know, it's it's cool because the Pies have the HDMI output. And so mm-hmm. if you get a game working, you can plug in a USB controller to your Raspberry Pi, plug it into your big HDMI screen, and just start playing games. And and I'm yes. easy. I'm not a big gamer, so I was able to get asteroids and working and you know a few you know of that era like space invaders and stuff and and i was happy because that's kind of my vintage of games honestly anyone with really no experience can get like those older systems to work on this on this on a raspberry pi i i mean half an hour and you can be playing it's really that easy. Right. There's just a lot of yeah. It's the newer. It's the the newer ones and the ones that aren't widely available as far as ROMs and stuff that right. that start getting. Or if you start putting front ends on it, so you can spin through all of your selections of games and you know that's get where fancy. the trouble comes in, customizing it and making it look look nicer and things like that. That's definitely where the the trouble if, comes. If in. anyone out there is is into this or you know wants to to check out some really well-done RetroPie gaming stuff, um, check out The Very Angry Maker on Instagram, uh, Rob McMaster. Um, he's done some really cool um, arcades, wrapped them in vinyl, done all of the artwork for the outside for his customers. Really sweet builds. There's actually only one game that I really want that I used to play in the arcade, which was not very common. And it was either called Forbidden Worlds or Forgotten Worlds. I can't remember which one it was. But there was one summer we were down the Jersey Shore. My brother and I played that game nonstop the entire time we were there. And it's just one of those games where uh, you're, you're a dude that's floating, like you have I don't know, anti-gravity or whatever. You're floating through this board that's moving from right to left. And you had one. You had a joystick that moved your position around, but then you had another one that was a knob. It was a round knob that you pushed down. And when you pushed down, it activated whatever weapon you had. But you could spin the knob, and it would spin in 360 degrees, so you could fire in every direction. And, you know, whenever you came to, like, there would monsters would come towards you, but then when you came to, like, a big boss, the whole screen would stop, and you'd try not to die and it was it was just a really cool game and that 
that arcade down the shore was the only place I ever found it. I, and it was made by Sega. So you would think that like Sega would, I'm sure it's on the internet now because this is from the 80s or whatever, but I never saw the game again. I would love to own one of those arcade machines just for that. Yeah, I think I've looked at a couple of arcades that for whatever reason that I enjoyed playing. One of them was Tempest. And I think it was just the vector graphics that were really good in Tempest. Um, speaking of spinning knob games. But the one I probably spent the most money on was uh, Space Invaders. And that was just because it was the game when we traveled to the nearby city that had had games. Probably poured more quarters into a Space Invaders game than any other arcade game. Well, as far as like... TJ, I, I looked it up. It's called Forgotten Worlds. And I just downloaded it for my Sega emulator. So I'll send you a video of me having fun playing it. Well, you're going to need a special joystick in order to use that. That, that's what I'm no, saying. You can use anything. Well, to to that knob that you push down and spin spin 360 degrees, it's not like a common like. There's no way to to emulate that. Well, they put they made that game. They ported it from arcade to Sega Genesis, so they did something to make it work right. Well, if you find the the controller, like the actual physical controller, let me know because like I yeah. I do want one of those. That was. We could, make the, we could make the controllers. That'd be a fun build. I was just going to say, you can, make, you can make a controller for the, for the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just button input. So we'd have to... Um, Tanda, can you get that done and send it to me by next week? Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we've got to have the full effect for you t- tantalizing uh, PJ. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that I can go over to Tom's house later and steal it. I had a good friend in, uh, in high school who was like a video game shark. And he literally paid for the first two semesters of college from video game winnings. Wow. Because there was an arcade um, where we grew up. And I'd only been in there like a couple times because I kind of went off and was doing programming and stuff. and wasn't as into video games. But I had friends that hung out there. And anytime they got a new game in, he would just play it until he had become, until he mastered it, literally. And this arcade always had... Um, contests whoever held the high score for like a month or something got a leather jacket or a mini bike or you know they had big prizes and he won them he always won them and sold them and then you know people would play him for money sometimes foolishly he just had this knack for memorizing patterns and he would play a game until he just knew everything that was going to happen next and i've seen him walk away from you know he's like you want to practice this game I'll build up some scores for you. And so he would put in a quarter and he would build up like 50 or a hundred lives and then, and then just say, here, now you can just play for a while. And of course the person who (laughs) stepped up to it immediately like just started losing lives because he was at some high level. Crazy level. But uh, the funniest thing was we went off to college together and uh, he and another friend that we met at college had this like, ongoing battle of playing what was it it was like an apple game i think it was called stellar seven was there a game called stellar seven where you like went planet to planet and you had these different tanks and you like you know you were your view was like first person outside of the tank anyway one of them would get the high score and the other one would come over i had the computer so they would play on my computer and then if the other one got the high score, the other one would like skip class or whatever and play until they had the high score. 
And so we thought, well, we're going to, we're going to mess with John. No, we're going to, we're going to mess with Jack and, and we're going to make John's score huge. I mean, like four times higher. And so we went into the code of the game and we found the high score table and hacked the game and just put up like a four X of any score that they had ever. And I'll be darned if this guy didn't sit down and play for like five hours straight and beat the four X score legitimately (laughs) after we hacked the game and stuck in the four X high score. It was, it was funny. That's, that's awesome. That's like the um the you know once the guy broke the four minute mile, everybody started doing it. It's like he thought it was actually possible, yeah, so he did. I, it. That's probably part of it. He was like, if John that's can awesome. do it, I can do it. You know, and right? So, yeah, that's awesome. So I'll be waiting on that game when you get it ready, Tom. You know, when you build the control. Oh, it'll be up here. Yeah. I'll be playing it. I'll send it to you. It's a fun game. <laughs> the only game that was really like what you guys are talking about that was super popular where I was growing up. There was a mall. They had an arcade, and the only game that was that popular was Street Fighter 2. Or it might have been Street Fighter 1. I can't remember. But that was the only game where it was like there was a crowd of people around, and there were guys that like knew every move. Like I remember this one guy in particular. He would challenge people, you know, because it was a multiplayer game. He would challenge people to fight him, and like they would be sitting there like hitting all the buttons trying to beat him, and he would like hit two buttons in the joystick and then take like a step back like he wasn't even touching it and then he'd just reach in and like tap it again and he would win. He would win all the time because he knew like all the moves and everybody would lose and they'd be super frustrated. And I kind of stood there and I'm like, I'm not playing that guy. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm more what I came from. 